0: Hello, melissa another day another episode of poker distilled i want to kick things off today by talking a little bit about my new idea for a youtube series and also appealing to the audience i wonder if the right person the star of this brand new youtube series that i have cooking in my brain is listening right now and thinking man this sounds like me i want to get some of that so let's talk about Mm -hmm. that first and then we'll move on to discussing your exciting heads up challenge with the card room manager. I love it. Taking on the card room manager in his own turf. He's probably rigging the deck and dealing from the bottom, but who cares? And then we'll move on to yeah. today's strategic element, which is all about trade-offs in the game tree in poker and how to understand that. Okay, so let's begin. Let's
1: do it. Yeah. So uh what is your what is this um new idea you have and how's it going? For people who don't know. Some of you probably do who are listening, and who follow Pete on Twitter, but mm-hmm. some people don't.
0: So my new idea is to do a coaching show, and I was going to do another episode or another series, rather, like From Losing to Cruising that we did before, um, or From Stalling to Marling, where we take like a pretty heavily losing poker player, and we try and stabilize them and turn them into a winner. Um, That has certain appeal, because people can watch that and say, oh, that's just like me, I'm losing right now Mm -hmm. and i'm stuck and i want to get out of 25 and l and i want to see how how this person does it you can sort of sweat that and see if it works or not Mm -hmm. but then i thought nah i want a bit more traction i want someone that has an audience and i want it to be someone that's maybe well known in a different scene so like in the live scene so i'm basically calling to all live players here that have some kind of following please don't get in touch if you're completely unknown you don't need to be Daniel Negreanu or Jungleman. In fact, don't be Man because I don't think I can coach Jungleman. Um, but have some kind of presence, right? So I'm talking about people who are active in Poker Twitter and have a Poker Twitter audience or have a YouTube channel or a vlogger. These are just um, or closets, not and closets, by the way. Maybe you're a streamer. Maybe you are well known for being on Game of Gold. You were on that show and everyone now knows who you are, so you have more of a following. I don't know, I'm just, just bashing ideas out here. Maybe you're just well-known like the Vegas streets and the live cash scene over there. But get in touch with me, pete at carrotcorner.com, and let me know if you want to take up the challenge of trying to beat an online game like 50NL, 100NL. We could even start at 25. It doesn't really matter. If you've not played a lot of online poker before and you want coached on how poker really works like technically and exploitatively online, and you want to become a hell of a lot better, because my ethos, Melissa, and I don't know if you agree with this, is that if you take a 50 NL online winner, they can crush quite a lot of live games. Like indeed, the majority mm-hmm. of live games that they would ever want to play. Um, not mm-hmm. like really tough lineups. But well, first off, what do you think about that? And what do you think about this concept?
1: I love the concept. I really do. And I hope it comes together because uh there's a real gulf between online and live players and I think if you talk to a lot of live players they will say things like yeah I don't play online um it's too you know they'll admit it's too tough or they'll you know it's just full of crushers and this and that and like I think you get into a certain um as a live player who doesn't play online it's easy to get into a kind of rhythm and a kind of under have a kind of understanding of poker and how it works that it's That's totally different and in many ways just like theoretically wrong Mm. compared to like how an online player even like a 25 and l player would be thinking about the game and uh for certain live players especially like if you're a professional and you're just kind of grinding out a nice living and i mean that's fine like they don't really they may not want it they don't care about online they may not want to learn anymore it doesn't really matter But I think it's going to take someone who has a a real kind of curiosity to get better, number one, at what they're doing, but also like learn what they're all the things they're doing wrong and maybe how many gaps there are in their thinking. So it's going to take someone that has like a lot of humility and is willing Mm -hmm. to kind of get shook (laughs) and shaken to their core maybe. Um, And for me, I don't play online, but because of, you know, I have... know i'm in our discord and Mm. you know my kind of training is with you and with just the carrot poker school and also with all of the players in the discord is that in many ways like i think like an online player Mm -hmm. and i play live and i think that's been really beneficial to me in a lot of ways in some ways it's hurt me because as we've discussed many times on the show sometimes i'm just way too theoretical and i don't i don't connect enough with the real world and Mm. that cost me but but i don't think that's a huge problem in my game i think by and large, like on balance, I'm a much better player because I have that connection to like a a community of online players. So my, my, um, I guess two cents would be if someone's listening to this and they feel like they are a potential candidate for this, it's only going to make your game better. Mm -hmm. So that's really, that's really it. You know, it's going It's not gonna be easy, maybe, mm-hmm. and it's it's gonna take some some work. But I don't I don't see the downside at all.
0: Yeah, and some of them might be listening to this, thinking, "Well, who the fuck is this guy? Like, he's not got a hand and mob. He's not known." Whereas I've made X hundred thousand in hand and mob or whatever, right? And they might yeah. be thinking, "Well, is this Pete Clark guy? Like, what can he teach me about poker?" Um, and I would just say, like, you know, fair enough to be apprehensive about that, but. Um, it's different worlds right there's the online kind of grinder world and technical cash game world and then there is the live tournament circuit and live cash game world and in, Mm -hmm. in my own little pond which is like the online cash game world generally teaching people that play anywhere between 25 and L and high stakes I've taken a lot of people from stuck at some lower stake through to being professionals or being coaches or being senseis in our discord or just being winning players that have moved up a couple of stakes is countless stories of people that, that go nowhere under the Carrot Poker School umbrella because you can't fix everyone, but there are also lots of success stories as well. You aren't expecting that curveball where you're Melissa. There's countless stories where people fail. Nice. But of course there are. You know, there are in an any endeavor.
1: One of the things I liked when I first met you, and I don't remember if it was something you said during one of our coaching sessions, or it might have been in one of your some of your free content, but you made some mention about how like, Poker's too hard, and thats like a lot of people just won't make it. Yeah. and I really like that. And I liked it because it was the first time I'd heard that from someone who was in the education industry, if mm. you will, poker education sphere yeah, because yeah. generally you hear things like, this is gonna turn you into a crusher, improve your live game, you know, go from playing one, two to playing, you know five, ten, ten, twenty, whatever. like, all of these tips to make you better. And here your, yours was like the first time I've heard someone, you actually say like, well, some, some of you like, you just aren't going to make it. Like yeah. it's not going to be viable. It's not gonna be a viable path for you to be a winning player. It may be a really fun recreational activity for that. You'll engage in for the rest of your life with a lot of enjoyment and fun. And like, God bless you. If that's someone that, you know, that is that you can do that. But like for serious players, like they're, if you don't have, the right combination of skills and dedication um, that I think like, yeah, it just doesn't work out. And I, I appreciated that. I thought that was like really honest. And it was like the same thing you hear when you're embarking on any kind of like a serious career. Like if you go to, you know, any like graduate school, they're going to tell you like a certain amount of people in this class are going to flunk out. Like, Mm -hmm. you're just not going to make it, like you're not going to be able to take the course load. You're not going to be able to take the amount of reading, the amount of studying, whatever. And so like that immediately kind of clicked for me is like, this is like a serious thing. And um, yeah, I like it. I like being told that there's a high chance of failure Mm
0: -hmm. in in, in any
1: endeavor. Yeah.
0: Yeah. had a really funny picture there of a thumbnail for like Surgeon School, but like based on like the gimmicky poker industry. It's like this guy with a really sharp glistening scalpel with like yeah. six figure dollar signs being like make six figures as a top surgeon yeah, like imagine that surgeon, was yeah. how you learn yeah. like serious professions but no poker is every bit as tough as being a surgeon or a rocket scientist like it's every bit i mean maybe this isn't quite fair but it's it's certainly you know the upper extremities the upper escalons of complexity in poker are, are on a par with the upper it's, escalons of other it's, industries it's,
1: and in some ways, it's more it's more difficult because you don't have the security that you do in a professional career. And not to say like any professional career is 100% secure. Some of them, you know, you get paid a lot, but there's a high risk that you're going to lose your job right. if you don't perform or whatever. But generally, like at least in the United States, with an advanced degree um, in most industries, you can have a certain level of expectation that you'll have a job. And you'll have, you know, you'll be able to at least make a comfortable middle-class living. In poker, like, there's so many factors that are outside of your control. And that the, the mental game and the ability to deal with the swings, the ability to deal with the variance. I'm, I hate saying this because I don't want to jinx myself, but knock on wood, <laughs> whatever, whatever you want to do. Like, I'm just pulling out of a downswing mm. that lasted about a month and a half. Goodness that like was that. just awful and was like the most... Uh, like worse, I, worse than my previous down swing. <laughs> that was like, this one was just cruel because I, I've like improved a lot as a player and it shook my confidence to the core and made me even question whether I even knew how to play the game. Yeah. And the, like dealing with that as a professional, when you're trying to feed yourself and maybe feed a family or something is incredible it's just incredibly difficult. I mean, I don't know any any other way to put it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah. So anyways, it's, I think it's every bit as difficult as any other professional. So we have
0: the added psychological sort of mayhem that goes on along with the technical puzzle that's bamboozling and and daunting. So yeah, I think when I say that many people who pick up the carrot poker school or even many people that hire me one-to-one won't get to where they'd like to get to, I don't think that's that should be in any way surprising to anyone that understands poker. Yeah. It should just be, well, people's ambition sometimes exceeds their capabilities. And that's just the way it goes. And with poker, the type of you know scrutinizing a logical problem-solving thinking required of poker is such that if you're not a very if you're not very good at weighing things up in a sort of philosophical logical manner premises conclusion and and weighing those factors and selecting the right factors and discarding the less important ones if you can't do that quickly or at all then that's going to be a massive uphill battle and it's not to say that people like Mm. that can't improve either you know if you're if you're someone that struggles with having a, a coherent lucid thought process in poker maybe you will never be a winner at 200 nl online but most people you know the vast majority of people will never achieve that yeah. And maybe you can still go from losing at 25 and L to breaking even, or maybe you can move up a stake, or maybe you can still achieve something. So it's not to say that just because people don't achieve their goals 100% of the time that, you know, they don't make any progress. And there's definitely people who maybe pick up the Carrot Poker School or whatever work with me that go from, like Mark, for example, mm-hmm. he um, was getting crushed at 25 and L for like 8 BB per 100 when we started from losing to cruising, and now he's like a small winner at 50 NL, Um, which is you know, doesn't sound that impressive. It's like, well, what he moved up one stake. It's like, yeah, he moved up one stake, but he increased his BB per one hundred by like nine yeah. while making while playing in a tougher game than the one he was playing in before. So clearly there's yeah, you know, I was gonna say marked progress there, no pun intended. There's a real there's a real progression. But
1: if you were to if you were mm. to look at my graph before I met you mm-hmm. and started working with CPS, like I was cratering and I was just like really I was awful. And I just really had no idea what I was doing. Mm. And that was a year and a half ago, whatever. And, you know, I've been consistently beating, you know, one, two, two, five now for a year. Yeah. And I, I mean, I still think I have a lot of leaks in my game and I have a lot to learn, but that's because I have bigger ambitions. And, um, but the progress I made just in a year is put me head and shoulders over above the pool that I'm in. And it also gave me a kind of, um, you know, community of support and all of those things which you need. So, anyways, yep. I just think it's.
0: Yet. Yeah, I'll put this as tactfully as I possibly can, which isn't very tactfully because I'm not a very tactful guy. Um, I've told you about <laughs> my grandmother and where I got that trait from, Melissa, right? The things she used to say. I don't know if I've told you about that, but she used to I don't say know things. If you have. Well, she used to say things to me like, I didn't see her very often. She lived in England, now in Scotland. So, go down there like once every year or two and she'd say things like, Yeah. You've always been a bit of a, a lost, silly child, haven't you? Just like weird oh stuff God. like this, random stuff like this. Like whatever the first thought that came through her head yeah. was, she'd say it. Like she once said to one of our family members, they were just talking about like going skiing or something, and she said, "Well, of course, if you were on the ski lift, you would have broke it, wouldn't you?" The one of them, oh like, my God. A, like, just out of nowhere. Mm-hmm. But this isn't even yeah. meant with malice. It's just like this utter lack of tact. So I think I've inherited yeah. a bit of this, right? So let me yeah, put I this. Think as you have. T- let me, yeah. So let me put this as tactlessly or tactfully as I possibly can which is that for you're a silly player you're a dumb player and you've always been <laughs> shit and you'll never amount to anything um <laughs> but like let's say someone of your level melissa right like someone that's winning at one two two five live right it's yeah. doing okay steps in and says you know what i'm gonna, I'm gonna fire yeah. up 100 nl online i'm gonna drop down a stake and i'm gonna play yeah. half the money that i play for normally and you jump on acr you jump on poker stars or gg poker and you start playing gonna go badly right for most people of that level at first you're gonna there's gonna be a big learning curve and that's what this series is really about it's about taking someone who is good at live poker and is good enough at live poker to crush the competition but then get them actually playing well technically you know where they can't rely on live tells and big edges and huge exploitative reads where they have to play more sound poker for one so a big part of this is going to be you come on the show semi famous partially known person listening to this thinking this could be you this could be you email me corner.com. you come on the show and we go over some session footage that you've played you send me your database of like just play a couple of sessions right play a couple of thousand hands whatever you send me them over we go over it together and i say okay let's work on this fundamental aspect of the game let's drill this theory did you know that you can't raise turn bets with terrible hands in theory that it's a massive mistake to raise like a I don't know two undercards cards to the board on king queen eight can't mm-hmm. raise six five there in any situation against the turn bet ever did you know that it's punting like multiple big blinds oh you didn't know that right okay well there's a baseline for you now you can only consider ever doing that with like the most absurd extreme read that you would need now so we're sort of grounding things you know we're going to put things in yeah. perspective and compare your thoughts and the stuff that you're doing the good and the bad to the theory and say well this is good and this is in line with theory this is bad this isn't but we'll also talk about general human exploits so not just like oh i know this live player or this player type this is old man coffee this is passive fish but what the humans do wrong and what that's going to do is it's going to broaden your understanding of how to exploit humans which means that you won't just be exploiting old man coffee and you know drunk bill it's always Bill. Like, this is the name for yeah. the—he's the old man coffee name and the drunk guy name. It's a drunk Bill and it's old man Bill, right? There are two different Bills, but they're all Bills. OMCs
1: o- don't have names; they're just oh, there's. O- no, o- they're all called
0: Bill. They have names; they're just all Bill. Like, or, some of them are or William or Willie, but most of them are just—they're all Williams and some be. are Bellies and <laughs> some are Bills and some are Willies. But they're all—they're all old man coffee. Um, yeah. Fair enough. So we do that, and we get you exploiting humans. Generally, it's like, did you know that people? In general, when they check twice here, they're not actually supposed to have that range that you used to delay, you're used to cleaning up by delayed sea into. Yeah, into.
1: Right, they're meant right, to have right, all these right, trappy
0: right. raises. Now, how often do your opponents do that? Never. Well, they're meant to do it 12, 24, 31, whatever it is at a spot percent of the time. So we can, and then when we send you back to play live again, when I say, okay, our time here is done, that's been a great YouTube series, you've gained followers on Twitter, I've gained followers on Twitter, everyone's happy. Hopefully I've not like alienated you with my tactlessness that I inherited from my grandma. You know, we're all happy. You go back away to your live game again. You sit down with old Bill and drunk Bill and shit Bill and you just take their money way worse than you were before. Or maybe you're playing in tougher lineups and now you're holding your own against regs that used to get the better of you or something like that. That's my goal.
1: Great. I think it's great. I I hope it comes together. I hope... Yeah, I hope it works.
0: Cool. Okay, next topic. I look forward to it. You challenged or no the card room. no i was
1: challenged i accepted a challenge so the manager of my normal room uh ran this was like gosh four or five months ago like randomly just came up to me and was like we should play heads up and i said sure and that was really it and then i tried to kind of get it going and it never really materialized and I felt like it was not gonna happen. And then last week I got to the room earlier than I normally do. It was like a Tuesday. And uh there was just one table running and it was a it was just like an, like an OMC fest at yeah. this table. And I thought to myself, this is probably not like the best environment for me to like be sitting down in. Um and so I was kind of sitting and waiting and then I was like, well, maybe I'll just go and like come back later. Let's go get a coffee or something. And he came over to me and was like, uh, you want to play? And I was just like kind of shocked because I didn't think it was going to be happening. And I hadn't prepared. I hadn't really done any studying or anything, but I thought, why not? And so we sat down and kind of established what how we're going to do it. So we're going to do three three matches each match we're going to both buy in for 1k we're going to play 5 10 and that round is over when a person loses 1k so can you
0: um, can you rebuy at all like can you top up um no so it's kind of like a set and go in a sense then right? yeah yeah okay yeah
1: yeah and this is just the rules that we established like on the fly so like i'm open to like Pete, if you if you have like some ideas that maybe you would like be just like make for a better challenge i'm open to it but this kind of all happened on the fly and i was a little bit i was a little bit concerned that if i said no to playing that day like it wouldn't have had it wasn't going to happen and so i wanted to kind of just like sit down and do it and even though i felt really unprepared and it was the first time i've ever played heads up um And all I kind of knew was that I could open with like 85%. Well, that's a good start. It's a good thing to know. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I just, and I knew that not because I had like looked at like a ton of charts, but because I just like watched, I think I'd watched like a Doug Polk video where he talked about it. And so I was like, okay, (laughs) that's my starting point. Um, And we played for about four hours, I think. Um, And I think it was like pretty neck and neck for most of it. I had a slight lead. At one point, um, I was, I was like, I was being more aggressive than him, which I think was probably the right thing to do. Um, And then it just like turned and I ran into a lot of bad variants. Like one point, like uh, he, like I bluffed and he had quads, which was like the wrong time to bluff, Mm. uh, obviously. And another time, like. I hit a set and he turned a straight, I, I flopped a set, he turned a straight. And just all of these kinds of trappy situations that I got into where it just cost me a lot of money, cost me a lot of big blinds, and that uh, just kind of depleted my stack. And the, the tough thing about heads up, well, there's a lot of difficult things about it, but one of the things is like the adjustments you have to make based on stack sizes is very similar I would think to like a tournament to where like you're shoving at a certain depth. Um,
0: well, that's because you've I, made the format. That's essentially a tournament, right? Like if you were just yeah. playing endless hands of a hundred big blind cash and you were just topping up, yeah. then you'd be way more in your own wheelhouse. Right.
1: Right. Right. And I think that that threw me off because when I got down, when I got down to like less than like, than like 40 or 30 bigs, mm-hmm. I was in this kind of shove or, fold situation even i mean it wasn't maybe it wasn't that drastic maybe it was when yeah. i was a little bit like below like 25 bigs yeah. which is how i would feel in a tournament for the most part um yeah and and so that was difficult uh i think because of the because of how we had structured it and then um so i ended up losing and i think it was a combination of running bad in all fairness i do feel like i ran bad i think that I made, you know, I made some mistakes that I think I probably would have done differently. But all in all, I don't think there was like a ton of that I could have done. And that's really being as critical as I normally am about my own play.
0: Yeah. I um, mean, this is a really yeah. high variance format, right? Because yeah. you're playing hundred yeah. big blinds. I'm actually shocked right. that it lasted for four hours, but maybe that makes sense given that Live poker is a bit slower. Um, that feels like quite an elongated. And he was dealing, session. I mean,
1: he was dealing, it was just like one dealer and also two. It's like the the first hour and a half we were both I mean he was playing really tight.
0: Mm.
1: I wasn't really playing tight. I was but my aggression was just like I was just getting folds. So
0: Yeah. So you're like slowly chipping up. But yeah, it's a very high variance yeah. format. Like if you think about playing against like just the normal six max game online, for example, and you play like that, I don't know what that would be like a two hundred hands or something like that. Mm-hmm. A stack can fly in either direction, like at any point. Yeah. So yeah. some of these matches would last eight hands and some would last hundred hands and some would last three hundred hands. It's just the way it's gonna go. Mm-hmm and I would say that the edge that either if you can have 100 big blinds deep in a sit and go um, okay the blinds are static so that's at least something Um, rather than the yeah. blinds escalating right. the edge is going to be something but it's nowhere near going to be as big an edge as you can have in heads up cash where you're always 100 big blinds deep and where you just get to, to reload and play ad infinitum yeah. so that yeah. would probably be a better format for you if you thought you had an edge but if that's what he's more comfortable with then yeah maybe you have to meet him in the middle I don't know as well like have experience to play areas or whatever does he does he listen to to poker distilled by any chance or i don't know Hmm.
1: a lot of people do and they tell me they don't
0: Hmm.
1: (laughs) i heard that because like i don't know i think like they look at it as like i don't know they or they don't tell me they don't but they don't tell me they do i'll put it that way a few people have told me they do but Hmm. i know everyone knows about it for the most part in my pool and i think a lot of people like it because they feel like i talk about how i play Hmm. and Hmm people make adjustments. I don't know, but a few people, I I don't think he, I honestly don't think he does. I don't think he does. I don't think that he is. He's not a, he's one of those people that I think is he's born and raised in Serbia and moved here when he was like in his 20, early twenties and like is uh, a real like creature of live poker. Like he plays a lot of PLO, plays a lot of mixed games. Um, plays bigger definitely bigger than you know the normal kind of like person in my pool um is a real kind of gambler likes to i think likes to kind of you know he just likes to gamble and but i but he also has an instinct for poker i think he's one of these just like like i we've talked about in the past these kind of live players that have a really are really sensitive like they're very sensitive to what's happening in the live world and kind of play a lot on instinct yep. and and he thinks really fast he's a really smart guy and i think that he i don't think that he has any kind of theoretical training but i think that he makes up for it in just raw intelligence and also just a sense of like he's also just really emotionally intelligent mm. and is able to kind of see understand what's going on and he has a lot of gamble to him so yep that's it makes for a kind of I don't know. He makes for kind of an interesting player.
0: Yeah, yeah. Sounds like it's going to be a fun match. So did you enjoy the experience yeah. of playing it? Was it, I loved was it? it. I I loved it. Or like, did you say uh, it, it quite was?
1: It, it. Yeah, it was intense. I mean, I think there was a part of me that was like, I mean, in for one K, sit and go didn't feel like. A, I mean, it wasn't like a huge amount for me. It wasn't like a huge chunk of my role by any means, and so I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was in this like risking this huge amount. It was more just like. I want to win this because I just want to win. Cause I always want to win. And so that, re- that relieved a lot of the stress that I would have felt if we were playing like much bigger or um or something like that. But really it came down to me wanting to kind of every hand and every close decision sparked my curiosity. Like mm. I want to learn more about this. I want to dig into this with a solver. I want to understand like what, supposed to do here what theoretically should be done here Mm. um and that part was great but also what i loved about it was that you just you're just constantly in the arena and it's like one hand after another after another after another and it's just that is really addicting it's really addicting because you don't you know maybe similar to playing like on zoom online but even that is you don't have the face-to-face and so like you're in this You're in this setting where like you're, you know, we're talking and we're just having kind of a light banter and, you know, it was very friendly and kind of in a strange way getting to know each other. Like you would, if you were like eating dinner with dinner with someone, because you're in this, like, you're in this like one-on-one environment Mm. and it feels like that. But at the same time, you're having this intense battle. Mm. So it's this really weird contrast between, (laughs) between this kind of like getting to know you lighthearted chit chat and like, also like you know this is a really intense game so so i can't wait to play the next round i don't know when it's going to happen we don't have anything set in stone um I, you know i think it'd be worth maybe proposing some different rules to see like i think maybe he'd be open to that i think he's um he may may not i don't know but um yeah you could time it instead format. i guess so you could say yeah. like
0: if it was to be cash like just to control like how long you're going to play for and stuff you could say there's a two hour clock or three hour clock, sessions are three hours. Yeah. You can buy in as many times as you want. Um, you can yeah. quit at like um, there could be a stop loss for the day where if one of you felt like losing five buy-ins would be too much to keep playing that day, you're allowed yeah. to quit at a certain amount of buy-ins yeah. down or whatever. Um yeah, I think there's other things you could do to make it not that this isn't like a, a respected format, like heads up sitting goes are a respected format. There was the whole yeah high-stakes duel thing that went on for ages where Helmuth was, like, undefeated for, like, 12 matches right, or something, if right, you remember that right. Um so, but there's extreme variance, you know, just that streak that Helmuth was on, that's, there's a lot of variance you know, those were blinds escalating, yeah. so perhaps there's even more variance in them and I don't believe for one second that Helmuth is, like, has a right to brag and say that he's the undisputed best in the world of that format, just because he went 12 games unbeaten, you know, a roulette wheel can mm-hmm. be black 12 times in a row easily mm-hmm. i used to be a croupier mm-hmm. i once spun the number 15 five times in a row which is insane the wow. probability of that wow um so these things happen um so in the in the heads up cash format i do think it would reduce the variance a bit and it would definitely allow you to use more of the skills that you've actually been studying for for the format you've been yeah. studying for but yeah it's not that it's a bad format so tell yeah. me
1: yeah yeah mm-hmm. ahead.
0: so tell me a bit about like what that's like then so you mentioned that there's this like intensity going on with the general chit chat does it feel more adversarial like at any point does it feel like man i am actually in a conflict with this person and i need to best them in a way that you wouldn't feel if you were playing a pot with someone who is part of a full ring game or six max game
1: um
0: when i play chess i feel that way right and i don't feel that way so much at the bridge table where there's four people yeah i certainly don't feel that way at the poker table with the six people but i feel that quite intensely in like chess because it's heads up
1: it's a good question i think it was more just i no i don't i don't think it did feel differently i think that when i'm in a in a full ring game um you know when i'm when i when it gets head when it becomes heads up usually on the turn it's never really, it's unusual for it to be heads up on the flop. That's funny. But um, yeah, it is. So turn river heads up. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I felt very similar in the sense that I'm trying to make the best decision I can, the highest EV decision that I can in, in the moment. And it didn't really matter to me that this was heads up and that we're going to be playing another hand in five seconds mm. or 10 seconds, whatever. Mm. It didn't really matter to me that, the you know the format was different it was more it was really my thought process was the same i think if anything i felt more room to bluff more room to kind of maneuver which was i think i really liked mm. because one of the things that's so frustrating for me in live cash games is you're not in a heads up situation a lot and oftentimes there are fish that are behind you the next to act And the person that is first to act, you know, if you're like in a middle position, for instance, and the person that is first to act is, you know, a weaker player and you want to isolate them, you know, it, you have to take into your consider into consideration, what the players behind you are, you know, that they're there and what they're likely to do and all of that, all of those factors. And that can be annoying because like, I made some comment to my friend who I was playing with the other night, who's. Who's you know, kind of a a more serious player, and he could I could say this to him, but he was just like he was in the game, and I was like, at one point I pulled him aside and I was like, why do you keep flat like flat calling three bets like behind me like it's screwing me up, like I screwing me up, I can't maneuver like what are you doing? and <laughs> and like <laughs> the the um so like things like that, but you don't have that in heads up format, obviously, and I think. I also feel like the edge that I have is uh I think a more um I'm I'm in more I'm in more control of kind of yielding that edge in a heads up situation, maybe, because it's only heads up and you're not there's no other factors outside of that. Yep. And that is really a cool feeling. And I think more than anything it's really intense to be constantly like decision, 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 decision. It's never. Okay. I just got dealt, you know, nine deuce and Mm -hmm. I'm folding, you know, and I'm sitting back and I'm waiting for the, you know, there's none of that. It's just decision, decision, decision. And when you're opening 85% of, of, of hands and, you know, you don't have a fold, you don't have an automatic fold generally. Um, and also too, you're constantly in these spots where like, and this is something I, I need to just understand more and learn more. It like, where is that threshold where I can continue? Where is that threshold where I can bluff? Where is that threshold where this is just to give up? Mm-hmm. It's not very clear. And the, sometimes it is, but sometimes it's not. And then I was thinking, am I making this more complicated than it is? I, you know, this it piqued my curiosity so much that I watched a lot of the live streams that, um, you know, Doug Polk has played heads up. Like, I watched a lot of the match between him and like Kevin rebichow hmm. which was great. And just like watching what they're doing, watching how that, you know, how that played out. Um, understanding completely that those guys are in different universes and they're playing in a much different type of manner, and there's a lot more money on the line. But right. the point is, is that just understanding like. You know how how are how is this played? You know how are these close spots played? What is a close spot? What is a give up? All of these things mm. just kind of it's just kind of different. It just it's a it's a different type of chessboard, if you will.
0: Yeah, and I think the potential for like losing control in some spots when you start with eighty-five totally. percent of hands is just humongous, right? Because if you think totally. about blind versus blind play in six max, and because that range is like nearly fifty percent that opens from the small blind, and the big blind calling range is really wide that's one of the most exploitative spots in the six max game Mm -hmm. tree, because as soon as you start Mm -hmm. checking to a wild player there that just flatted you in position in the big blind, and the board is like eight, three deuce, and they start betting at you, and you know that they have a, as Peterson would say, a certain proclivity. To say that they have a proclivity to aggression is to barely scratch the surface, you could say. And what they're really doing, have to throw one in every podcast, and what they're really doing there is that they're having the thought of, I want to bluff. But unfortunately for them, the thought I want to bluff actually presides over hundreds of combinations that exist in the starting mm-hmm. range. So, yeah, that's that's a bit of a problem. And it means that when you're not aware of the width of your starting range and how much air is yeah. in it, and you have that proclivity just to invest money because you want to win the pot, you end up really, really over bluffing. So yeah. that's why in Cash Injection, yeah. the, the Exploitative Quick Fix course, we talk about just bashing these unfiltered ranges the idea of the unfiltered range the range that has started off wide not an under the gun versus hijack three-bet pot or anything not a cold four-bet range but a range that started wide and then wasn't forced to shed its bottom hands by facing a bet like the mere act of facing a c-bet forces the shedding of the bottom part of the range you could say right so when you're playing heads up with someone and they are aggressive or they're hungry for for bluffing or they just want to win pots like just checking to them knowing that they have a thousand combos now rather than 600 you know they have like 1000 or 1050 of the 1326 starting combos that gets pretty insane very quickly so i think like one of the challenges for an aggressively minded player like yourself melissa would be what are the spots that he can see i'm completely going to overdo it and if i just fall into the trap of bluffing because i can and i think bluffing because you can is a sure way to get yourself owned against a good player who understands mm-hmm. your landing range, which means the range you arrive at mm-hmm. on a street before mm-hmm. you split that range by taking action.
1: Mm-hmm. Certainly. And the other thing that I'm contending with is he's not a player, he's not very aggressive. Mm-hmm. And that leads to this kind of imbalance a little bit where, you know, I'm not, I can't, normally can't depend on him to... uh put money into the pot you know to drive the investment ceiling kind of thing so it it leaves me it certainly that certainly plays into some of my bias for aggression Mm, you're fast playing your
0: value hands more because you don't expect to get much money by checking yeah
1: exactly exactly and it also the mental game side of it too is that when you're you know i went through a period where i was like car dead for you know maybe like well car dead and heads up Mm. meaning that i wasn't you know, connecting. It was just like, I was just kind of constantly in like no man's land <laughs> after the flop. um, And, and then I'm dealt Kings and it feels like you have this precious, precious,
0: precious metal thing. Yeah. Yeah. Precious
1: metal. It's like, Oh, I can't, I have to be so delicate with this. And, and I feel this way sometimes in, in a nine, in the nine um, you know, nine handed live session. Is that so one, two, there's so many passive players that, you know, the, the slightest aggression in spots where they're not nutted. It's like, they just, they just scatter. And so mm. the, it can be, that's incredible. can be incredibly profitable, obviously, but in, in certain cir- circumstances, it can be a little frustrating. So, you know, on one hand, in, in one hand, I had Kings and, you know, it was like, um, you know, single race pot, he, he raised and I'm like, okay, I can four bet. I can flat. Obviously like I want to be four betting. And I four bet and he folds. It's like and obviously that's the right move, right? It's like a four bet in a heads up. Mm-hmm. Um and but at the same time, like if I had flatted, you know, that would have would that have been better? Like, was there a slow play here? Those kinds of things.
0: Well, I mean, if he's not polarizing his three bet range, then all the less reason to mm-hmm. slow play big pairs before the flop, right? Like if he's three betting yeah. too linear and too low percentage, yeah. then you're coolering him more often just by having the kings and the value of the kings yeah. is in some sense going up okay if he's folding queen jack suited to a four bet it just means you should be four betting every single time you three bets it doesn't mean that like yeah. there's anything you can do with kings in particular yeah. because even if you slow play you know you end up playing pulse flop against someone who isn't aggressive enough so it's not like you make right. the money from the bottom of the range there if anything you just right. fail to deny equity in a spot where you should be driving pot growth for yeah. coolers and denying some equity to ace x or or whatever that's kind of kind of live it's not it's not a sin to make ace x fold you know if he has like ace eight off soon you have kings and you make him fold if he's not that aggressive anyway with those kinds of hands pull flop it's not a sin to make that hand fold pre so yeah it sounds like your kind of angle will be like a thousand death by a thousand cuts you'll want to just like slice away at him and just like whittle him down until he's forced to take more risks and you have the commanding ship lead I would avoid punting it all back in one impulsive play. It's very easy to like, like this is kind of mm-hmm. like the, I don't know how you would put it, but it's like the sort of calm, wise sensei against like the eager young kid in like some kind of karate mm-hmm. movie, dojo kind of based film mm-hmm. where like the kid is really aggressive and powerful, but the sensei can sit back and pick the perfect spot and then like catch him at mm-hmm. just the right time with like whatever mm-hmm. kick and end the fight in one. And you don't want to be like diving in head first to, situations for a large amount of risk that are bad where he knows you're over bluffing and he can pick Mm -hmm. you off if you can just like stab away death by a thousand cuts and either force him to just be whittled away and just have a chip disadvantage or force him to like lose his cool and change his game and feel like he has to take a stand because there's nothing more of a sitting duck in poker than a passive player who has suddenly emotionally decided they have to take a stand because the way in which they do that is usually more like a kind of grotesque flailing than it is any kind of measured counter assault.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So so I'm excited for for the rest of it. I think um I'm gonna be doing some studying. I'm going to be doing some work. Um, but I love the format. It it's definitely my favorite form of poker for sure. Like yeah. it's just so much fun. Yep. And it's like it's so it's so intense and it's so all-consuming that I like it. been It's it's been a long time since I've like actually lost track of time. I mean, I always t- I always kind of lose track of time when I'm playing poker because, you know, I, like I said before, like I'm so engaged in it. But heads up, like you really lose track. You're really sucked into this oh, yeah. kind of format, and mm-hmm. and that's awesome. And it feels so special, and it feels so it connects you in a weird way to like. Yeah. I feel like the, the true root of like, maybe like how poker developed and like Mm -hmm. how it was played before people knew how to play it. And just, it's just a pure, it's just so pure Mm -hmm. and that in itself is really amazing. And, um, yeah, like it feels like if it, if it, there was like a poker Olympics, it would be like the, the marathon or something. It's like the, it's like the oldest event, you know, Mm -hmm. um,
0: i remember thinking so, like yeah. the limit hold'em when i first played it was a really shit boring game because i used to play five card draw yeah. and that was the first game i ever learned five card draw with you know one swap anti's pre-flop pre-draw uh-huh. betting pre-draw one draw uh-huh. betting post draw and that yeah. game i used to play it three-handed and that game was like crack cocaine of poker as well because you were either involved in a hand um or like battling with one other person or it was a three-way pot sometimes you'd fold like before the draw and you wouldn't be but very very often you just had loads of decisions and you were looking at five cards the other guy had five cards you couldn't see any of them the only thing you knew is the other guy took x amount of cards and you had to figure out whether you had the best hand and whether you could raise or whether you could call it was almost like five card draws halfway (laughs) between poker and rock paper scissors or something like that so it was great but when and when i started playing no limit texas holdem i was very much like oh, this game sucks because you're dealt a 7 and a 3 all the time and you fold and you just do nothing. Like, what the hell is this game? And it was only when yeah. I discovered 6 Max Online cash that I was like, okay, this is a good game if played in this context, playing eight tables of this yeah. of this 6 Max yeah. variant. But like for me, yeah. like I've said this to you before, to sit at a full ring table, I can't think of a situation where I'm more aware of the passage of time because I just feel like I'm literally, yeah. literally doing nothing. I feel like I'm in some kind of cell. So yeah, yeah I can see why... Yeah you're really enjoying the foray heads up all right so let's talk a little bit about branching and splitting and trade-offs in poker right a bit of a strategic yeah. segment here so very often um when i hear poker commentators commenting on the game trying to simplify it maybe they don't have the best understanding of the game they can fall into the trap of being very results oriented right so i often hear poker commentary going on in clips i watch something like oh a guy had i remember a hand where and the audience can help us out with where this hand occurred but someone had tens and it was a heads up like final stage of maybe one of these like triton events or something like that and the guy like limps blind versus blind with with no the, the other guy limps I think small blind limps and big blind checks with two tens and a commentator's like oh he checks that's, that's weird and the flop comes in such a way that the other guy like flops it straight with like 5-3 or something like that And all the money goes in they're only like 18 big blinds deep or something like that so tens is probably a fine slow play at 18 big blinds stack depth i would imagine like the there's a real trade-off there right because if you raise with tens you put more money in the pot when the guy has a continuing hand okay great so in that branch you're very happy that you raised and you're glad that you didn't check and in the branch where your opponent folds pre-flop and the flop was going to come in such a way that would cause you to lose to that hand that folded you're also really glad that you bet that's great But what about the times when you raise pre and the guy folds a hand and would have flopped the second best hand or would have bluffed it off to you post flop or something like that. So in this hand, because the guy with the tens, forget who it was now, got stacked and got like busted out of the tournament. The commentators were like, that's a mistake. It's not like him to play like that. Oh, my God, he didn't seek protection. You've got to seek protection with your big hands they don't all have that voice but 94% of them or something have that voice and i was just sitting there like i remember where i've told you about my situational memory right where i know where i am at the time when i saw something or heard something Mm -hmm. so i I just picture Mm -hmm. that so i'm like standing in my bathroom at the sink like playing this youtube clip like the phone is like on the thing that holds the toothpaste and i'm like i don't know if i just brushed my teeth or shaved or washed my hands or washed my face i don't know what i've done but i'm like there at the sink and i'm just like looking in the mirror and i'm just like Fucking hate this commentator right now i've got like such bitter resentment towards it because i'm like this is so ignorant and it's so like they can't even be bothered to like compare the merits and the pros and cons like yeah maybe raise was better maybe this is a stationary guy that's limp calling too often maybe you know this is a guy that isn't gonna bluff much if you check back maybe raise was better but can we at least discuss the technical merits of like where raise Mm -hmm. would be better and where check would be better rather than just grabbing one single notion and being like blah protection There you go. You didn't get protection. You got sucked out on. Ergo, you should have got protection. Like, this is so brain dead. It's it's almost like we're simplifying the game tree to just being like, what happened? And now we need to be Mm -hmm. telepathic to play well, and that's a bit of a reductio Mm -hmm. ad absurdum right there. That's a bit of a problem, Mm -hmm. you know? To say that that's Mm -hmm. borderline psychopathic is to barely scratch the surface of it, man.
1: You know, I realized the other day that if we took, if someone like went and clipped all of your Peterson impressions mm. and just did like, oh, they, that would be an entire podcast <laughs> in itself. Just like,
0: well, I them all back, back. Instead. Yeah. Following is a conversation with Melissa. Yeah, that's good too. Um, I was listening to him today and he was like taking the piss out of his host for the entire episode. Like he was just in this like little schoolboy mode where everything the guy said, he'd just be like, the guy'd be like, I'm really happy that I can and he'd be like, Still get it up in your old age. And the oh guy my be God. Like, the guy'd be like, What did you say? And he'd be like, Nothing, nothing continue. <laughs> like he's just doing this for like the whole episode. Like Lex really cracks me up sometimes. He gets in this yeah. mood where I'm like, I get it. I totally relate to yeah. that. Like I'm gonna yeah. to torment you like a little school bully clown kind of mode. Yeah. Like I totally get that. I'm like that sometimes as well. So, but anyway, um, this failure to really see the branching yeah. of the tree and the trade off and the pros and the cons—it's a huge issue because it leads to blindness. It leads to myopia, and it leads to this sort of fog of war that's impossible to see through. Yeah. And a lot of my one-to-one students, like that's one of the things that makes me want to bash my head off the monitor. Is when I'm like, okay. What do you think happened in this hand? And they're like, Oh, I hate this hand. I played this hand terribly. And I'm like, Well, why did you play it terribly? It's like, Well, the river's just clearly a fold. Like he's clearly not bluffing there. And I'm like, well, This is a really mm-hmm. overbluff spot. What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, Really? So I did well. I did good. It's like, No, you're doing really bad right now because all you're doing is mm-hmm. thinking about the way you played it and what happened to you, and you're trying to work backwards from the conclusion to pick out one sort of. I don't know, whatever seems like the most relevant data point that's related to that showdown, and then you're trying to make that the full fabric of the hand, and it's just not. So what seems most pertinent to you when you're reeling from the sting of a result of a hand is rarely the thing that's like what you should actually be analyzing. So maybe we can talk a bit more about pros and cons to common poker situations, how to understand them. Like, for example, if you consider having top pair on the flop, right? You have queen 10, you open the cutoff. The big blind calls the flop comes queen 6-4 you have queen 10 offset. theory mixes okay that doesn't mean you should mix if right. you check there are pros to checking if there are cons mm-hmm. there are cons to checking if there mm-hmm. are if you bet there are pros to betting if you bet there are cons to betting and in mm-hmm. equilibrium there's these just so happen to be balanced out the seesaw is at 180 degrees but it's not always in real life it might be 190 mm-hmm. now one side is tilted slightly up and now you have to check So I think if we understand pros and cons a bit better, we can see the slight tilting of the seesaw in either direction against a certain human, and then we can pick the right strategy. So maybe it's worth us just speaking for a second about what those pros and cons are and how to analyze when they swing, like when one becomes more strong than it usually would be, or weaker than it usually would be. So what is the the drawback to betting top pair on the flop. This is something live people, live players do all the mm-hmm. time. It's almost a default. Oh, they checked top pair. Oh my god! Yeah. It's like no, no, no. This is actually very standard. So you should shut yeah. up and you should do the carrot poker school. But anyway, um, before I go on this round again, what is the drawback to betting top pair on the flop? Then, like, let's talk about that.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, there's a couple. I mm-hmm. would say one is your opponent folds, um, mm-hmm. and there's no more money invested in the pot. Number two is that... Well, let me let elaborate uh, on
0: one, right? So let's say your opponent okay. folds a hand that in some other branch of the tree and la- like later on gives you right. money, right? So if they fold a right. hand that's never giving you money on another branch of the tree, then that's good for you because you clean up that equity. Even if that hand has just one over card or back doors, you still clean it up, right. right? But if they fold a hand that in some branches of the tree, they would have bluffed later. And this is the case with many fish online. Mm-hmm. They're just going to stab at you when you check back at, at low stakes. hmm or mm-hmm. if they would have been able to hit something later like a second pair that would have called down then yes that's a that's a con of betting that's a bad branch that that doesn't make betting mm-hmm. wrong but it is no. a disadvantage of betting that needs to be you know put into the bowl as one of the ingredients when we're looking at that cake mix of of strategy right
1: right um i think another con would be that for players who are you know your opponents who are perceptive uh it could be well she's betting she's top pair and that is you know maybe to some listeners that seems really basic but i i actually use that exploit a lot there is a lot of players in live poker who are so terrified of the turn card um coming and destroying their equity Mm. that they feel like they have to invest now. They have to stop whatever's coming. Mm-hmm. They have to reduce the chance that whoever calls them is going to profit on the turn or is going to be in a, in a better world on the turn than they are in the river. Mm-hmm. And if and if they do, it means that they paid a they paid a lot to get there. So, like you'll hear sometimes in live games, players will say things like, "You pay too much to get to hit your flush,"
0: mm-hmm.
1: something like that. So, a real I
0: mean, a tell,
1: to be honest with you, is a fish potting it yep. on the
0: flop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is like, an extremely boom. under bluff size yeah. for a fish to use on the flop. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. two possibilities here. Either this is just the fish's standard c-bet size. That's really rare. There's very few people no, out it's there- super, yeah, who, super Who just rare. do yeah. that. The one that's an even yeah. bigger tell, right, is the three-bet pot. When they pot the flop in the three-bet pot, they have an overpair yeah. like 92% of the time or something like that. It right. gets like insane. And, and therefore, it's, when they bet yeah. smaller- they may be over-bluffing now, or when they check, they have this underprotected range, so we're kind of get going off on a tangent, but the real fruit of this exploit, of like, this person always bets top pair big is not, well, it is when they bet the flop big, you can start folding hands you shouldn't be allowed to fold, but you can also pillage their non-big bet ranges, their checking ranges, right. and their small bet ranges and stuff like that, and that's another, that's another drawback. A third drawback would just be, like, when you're being coolered, you lose more. Like when I have a set right. and you have top pair, and you didn't you didn't control the pot size. You people say, Oh, it's a great pot control check by Melissa here. She's really on to something. It's like, no, no, no. She so just checked yeah. this time and I happen to have a set. Like, shut up. I keep yeah. doing that that croaky voice because there's like there's one poker commentator that sounds like that. I don't know if he's even like terrible at poker, but he sounds a bit like that and that's the voice that's stuck in my head.
1: Well, and it the other thing too, in it in a um I think like in a three bat pot, for mm. instance, um your the advantage to checking is you're giving your you can check raise so like if your opponent if you check and your opponent bets mm. you can check raise and so you're you're allowing your opponent to contribute to the to having that pot reaches investment ceilings if you have value um the other thing is that if you are if your opponent checks back like the turn in a three bet pot on certain boards. Um, I mean, you could over bet <laughs> on, on the turn. Um, there's, there's more that there's more that you can do mm-hmm. based on like, just because like checking doesn't, it's not like you checked and like you've surrendered your nut advantage or you've surrendered, you, you've capped yourself or like you've, you've done something where, like, if you're properly protecting your checking range, um, then you haven't kept yourself, Yeah, now we're getting into,
0: like, range versus range, so we don't even need to get into that. We should stick with hand versus range for today, because, like, okay, we are talking about understanding the pros and cons of actions with a hand, right? And that's where people have to start before they overcomplicate anything.
1: Okay, okay. So, like, so I'll give an example. Um, This was a single-raised pot from this weekend where there was a straddle on the button, Mm. and uh she was kind of a pass a more passive player um and i was like under the gun plus under the gun plus two i think it was early position mm. so there was two both blinds flatted it was like 5 5 dollar straddle so it was like um small blind calls big blind calls folds to me i have pocket queens mm. i raised to 20 she kind of hesitates and makes a really reluctant call okay so already i know that i likely have the better hand going live into players with
0: straddles is like dogs with like a fucking shred of meat that they got out of the bin it's like you walk past <laughs> your dog and he's like Rar! and you look down and he's got like a bit of the lid of some like mince beef packet it's not even got any meat on it anymore and he's like fucking threatening you that's live players with button straddles man okay <laughs> sorry continue
1: there's your grandmother um so uh
0: don't ever compare it so with her again, again, Melissa.
1: Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. This brings up trauma. Uh small I mean, uh, button calls <laughs> the two blinds fold. So we go to the flop, and uh uh I I bink a queen, it's like queen nine deuce or something, mm. and it's like super dry, and uh and I checked to her. Um she checked back, and you know, I could have bet. It, the trade-off in my mind was I bet now and she folds I check or, or maybe she calls it's not clear but um, or I check and allow her to either invest more or check back she checked back and the turn was a king it's perfect like an ideal card because I'm thinking you know calling my raise on the button in a straddle. Yes. She's very wide. She's incentivized to, to call wide when you're straddling on the button, but still like there's a, you know, a not small chance that she's got some form of Broadway. And so I, at that point, you know, I knew I was like, okay, at this point, I think it's clear that I could check again. Um, but the exploit that I thought was, well, she's fairly passive and, Hmm um and so i I thought maybe it's gonna fall on me to start investing
0: yeah i think i would just like use that exploit street earlier to be honest like i get it yeah yeah. like 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 you're like we're saying she's passive you can check here no problem like in in theory you don't have to see that are you talking about on the flop yeah yeah in theory you can check the flop but you can also bet and if the exploit is well she's leaning more passive than aggressive then she probably understabs but like Still continues to call like fairly wide, so I just bet a third or something and and go from there. That's the kind of point, that's the kind of spot where you can bring in the exploit right off the bat. So if you understand that like both bet and check are balanced on a knife edge, that they're like totally fine theoretically, you can say, Well, you've already said pre that she's more passive and clingy to pots than she is aggressive and bluffy. So let's instead of checking, because checking, check is a line when you have the nuts, checking as a line out of position that says. I want to maximize against your polar aggressive regions. I mm-hmm. want you to value mm-hmm. bet so I can check raise, and I want you to bluff so I can get money from hands I wouldn't get money from by betting. And we're now saying, well, she's not going to probably value bet that thin, and she's probably not going to bluff very often. So let's just bet and quote unquote target. You know, we hate this word, blah, blah, blah. But there I think we can say we want to play against mm-hmm. her medium merged stationary stuff because that's more likely and more abundant um, with respect to investing than the other stuff. It depends on your read, right? But we can probably do that from the flop. But yeah, on the turn, yeah. I a hundred percent agree that yeah. like betting is the way to go now because she has so much like pair plus gutter, one yeah. pair, like all of this stuff, right? So yeah. let's bet the turn a hefty yeah. sizing. Yeah.
1: Right. And I'm B75ing on the you turn. You could even pot so it or or well I could yeah, even pot it yeah. it, yeah.
0: You could say you could argue as as follows. You could say something yes. like, well, if she has King Jack, etc., she's totally inelastic to your sizing now. And if she has like some under pair like fives She's probably just folding to any size. So, like, if you're going to be 75, yeah. why not even over a better pot? It feels better to me in this yeah. spot. But this is what I mean. Yeah. This is the kind of experience, yeah. like, knowing how to size your bet comes from understanding that base trade off and it comes from understanding, like, the elasticity of the opponent, right? But, right. but anyway, B75 is not like a disaster. But, so,
1: right. But, and what I think is like an area that I'm like, I look at it as like a clear sign of improvement in my own game mm-hmm. is that at no point in the hand did I think there is only one option. <laughs> like there is mm. only one thing to do here. Mm-hmm. And I have top set. I got to get it in. I need all our money. I need to trick her into investing. She's passive. She's going to fold if I show any kind of aggression. So therefore yeah. I'm going to check to the river. I mean, at no point did I invent mm. this kind of narrative that forced me into making like into seeing just tunnel vision, one choice it's like, no, it's like, I'm in this really wonderful world where I have like a lot of equity here. She's, we're both, she, I think the effective size was about, uh, I think about 150 bigs. Mm. So like beautiful little world and not as deep as like, I would be with other players at the table, but no matter. And that, the, the kind of, that i look back on and i'm proud of myself for and i can look at as like being like a sign of improvement is that i didn't have that tunnel vision and i thought okay there's multiple things that i can do here but they come with a price right Mm -hmm. there's a Mm trade-off so um you know one of the things that i think is like a real sign of like unsophisticated thinking especially when it comes to any kind of public policy or political thinking is when someone says like oh, well, you know, I have to go out and protest because this is clearly wrong Mm -hmm. or this is clearly right. It's like society and humans are so complicated. There's very rare. It's very rare that you're going to have an issue that is 100% one way or 100% the other. There's always levels of nuance and complications and, you know, all types of all types of ways to to digest something and interpret something. Like unless you're going out in the streets to protest against like forced slavery. Like, I don't think like there's a clear answer. Yeah. And so the, 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 the way of like understanding, like there's trade-offs, everything you do is going to have some pen- benefit and it's going to have some negatives. And this is something that's like foundational to, to really any kind of, in my opinion, like sophisticated thinking is like, yeah, you could do this, but there's going to be trade-offs. And so in tr- bringing that into poker, it's like, yeah, I, I could check here there's a trade-off. I could bet here there's a trade-off. And and entertaining that and letting those kinds of scenarios play around in your mind is so makes it so much more interest, makes the game so much more interesting. It makes me it makes you feel so much more powerful. And just like you would if you were a if you were someone that was going to, you know, stand up at a local town meeting and argue a point or debate someone, you want to understand what your opponent's position is going to be. You want to understand the nuances of your argument because if you just come up there and say it's one way, you know, it's it's really, it's wrong, you, you're going to lose. And so that's kind of how I felt in that situation. Mm-hmm. So I get to the turn and I invest, you know, I B 75 and she flat calls, she's calls and we go to the turn and the turn, I mean, sorry, we go to the river and the river is a 10. Oh my god! Offsuit, yeah. this queen, so, queen
0: ten, six, king ten.
1: Queen, no, queen nine six. Oh, oh dear, 10.
0: yeah. Oh dear, so it's four straight.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, um, so I bet pot, a little over pot, and she hesitated, 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 and made the call. I show queens. I'm good. She shows king ten. So she, so she went runner, or two pair.
0: Mm. Yeah. Pot feels too thin to me. Like it feels yeah. like a polarization yeah. mistake. I think we need to be going yeah. lower, smaller than that. Like so many of our yeah. hands have a jack in them. A jack is a straight, right? Yeah. Any jack. Um, She would have to have ace jack,
1: if I remember correctly. Hang
0: on. I'm getting confused. King, queen, and queen. nine. So any jack.
1: Maybe i Maybe it wasn't a nine. Okay, so I remember thinking, forced, she, needed, so I remember forced, thinking right. she needed Ace Jack. Okay, so it I wasn't, the, she it wasn't a jack. nine yeah. on the flop. Deck. It wasn't. Okay. A, it wasn't that thin. It wasn't that. Thin. Okay, that's
0: fine then. Yeah, seems good. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: yeah. But, anyways, the point of all of this is that I think and what we wanted to talk about today is that getting to that river spot where, um, is is not a straight line.
0: Yeah, but I guess, equally, we can't have the carrot corner audience thinking it's okay to pot four straight rivers with sets because generally it's not so i had to be a total dickhead there and just like make sure that wasn't the case but yeah no 100 percent. that's the point is the turn yeah. trade-off and the flop trade-off and i think the i think the best point with this hand is this one about don't go into like a tunnel vision one track mind off oh my god it would be a disaster if my opponent folded i have to keep them in the pot i see this all the time from live players and and online players too sometimes the default checking when you make quads yeah i actually checked quads for three streets this morning um but it wasn't because i was scared of my opponent folding like the i opened fours in the small blind and the flop was five four four so i flopped quads and five four four is a board i'm going to check on all the time right a small blind against big blind so i checked i checked lots of stuff there the opponent checked back and the turn was like a seven or something and again i was like well They're going to do a bunch of betting here as a bluff. They're going to do some value betting here. I'm going to go for a check raise, you know, grade two, lecture five, carrot poker school. If you're out of position, Mm -hmm. you can check raise in many spots Mm -hmm. where you, as Mm -hmm. long as you think your opponent's not a complete passive station, then it would be bad because now you're like ensuring pot stagnation. So I go for another check, they check back. River is a flush bringing queen. So now the board is five, four, four, seven queen with three hearts. And I'm like, okay, I've got quad still. Either my opponent has like some terrible showdown value, value like Ace High or King High, that's just not going to call a bet very often. Or they've hit a Queen, in which case they'll value bet if I check. Or they've hit a Flush, in which case they'll value bet if I check. Or they have nothing, in which case I want to give them the chance to bluff. So in my mind, the river is the clearest check I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But the most mm-hmm. default reaction for the live player there is, well, I trapped twice because i was terrified of them folding yeah. now i'm getting yeah. the sensation of like time has run out so instead of actually analyzing the board texture and analyzing the opponent's range i'm just gonna bomb pot and hope they call yeah but like i had to commit yeah. to the third check and they check back with king high. like they just didn't bite this time but it's like okay at least I played the hand in a coherent way on the river. Right, So it's not that it's always bad to slow play your hand. There are times when it's a good thing to do and that won't always work, right? There's times when you slow play three streets and you win nothing and I show down quads. I just go check, check, check and I show down quads and if a poker commentator was watching me, he'd be like, this Pete Clark guy's a fucking joke. Like he can't spell poker, he checked down quads but I was out of position, right? And it's about understanding what that trade-off is. So in your hand, the trade-off is like, well, do I bet the flop? Do I check the flop? And then the player type can say, just because that's a normal, equal trade-off in a neutral situation doesn't mean it is against this person. So who's this person? Who's this player type? Who's this pool? And then which way does it actually go? You know, which way yeah. does the dial fall?
1: Yeah, it's a lot of times too, this isn't always the case, but there's some players in my pool who I'm I'm generally sure, based on their bet sizing, their mannerisms, how they play, that they're they're bluffing. And they're betting small, they're, you know, they're betting quickly kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I had a hand where I flopped, I had Queen Jack um, out of position and I flopped, I flopped a boat, Queen Mm -hmm. Jack, Jack. And I check and opponent, passive OMC type, uh, meager, well, throws out a bet of like $15 into a $45 pot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I'm faced with, okay do I check race here? Or do I flat call? Um, and I ended up calling and, and then when he bet again on the turn, I raised on the turn and he immediately folded. But one of the things I was thinking about is, is there merit to calling again on the turn and then block betting on the river? So betting, you know, calling on the turn. So, he, you know, at that point, you know, there's maybe, um, Thirty big blinds in the pot going into the river, and then putting out a bet of ten big blinds as a block.
0: Well, what do you think his range is? I
1: think his range is pretty air heavy. To be honest with you, then don't block I think the river. That...
0: You're just shutting down unless you think he's going to spew against it. Like I think that that would be to... that
1: would be the exploit. Would be mm-hmm. because otherwise some of these players you literally check back to them on the river and 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 it may be the similar situation as to when you had the quads where they just check back and they say i I missed you know whatever i have ace high something like that Mm -hmm. um i i guess that what i what i find myself weighing a lot in my head is this isn't always the case but a lot of players just don't bluff enough and they Don't bluff and they don't recognize mandatory bluff spots on the river, they're committing river blunder theorem. They're not, um, they're just not aggressive enough. Mm. And that sometimes that's a delicate balance for me to just to, to figure it out. So, I'm just it occurred to me after this hand happened is well, could that have been a spot where I mm. could block better as an exploit to get him to spew?
0: Yeah, maybe it depends if we think like. Depends what we think of his bluff frequency normally, like, there's, there's if if we've got a tell that his range is really weak, that he's, like, very rarely value betting, and it's usually just got, like, Ace-King tops or, like, some bluff, then Mm -hmm. the normal play with Queen-Jack would just be, well, if those aren't high equity bluffs that are bet calling the turn, then the normal play would just be to call and check the river and open the door, you know, maximally for him to bluff again. If for some reason your readers that like if you check the river, he doesn't have an NM to triple barrel, like that's not part of his arsenal. But block betting might well inspire some kind of spew and he might be offended by it, then sure that could be a play, but it's one that requires a really a really accurate mm-hmm. and sort of precise narrative about who the opponent is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. All right. It was interesting.
0: Well, that's been an interesting discussion of yeah. branching interesting discussion about your heads up match as well i'm really intrigued to hear how round two goes and i wish you all the best with that i think the audience will be railing you from from the side here and wanting to know how you get on as well our discord group as well
1: yeah and thanks for everyone who left encouraging comments in our discord
0: do leave more melissa really likes them you know we got an email the other day and i showed it to you and you said it kind of made your morning so if you want to make melissa happy do send us your (laughs) feedback on poker distilled you can email me at support at carrotcorner.com you can email us or you can leave comments on youtube or or in the discord group
1: yeah i i i really appreciate it and it's really i don't i think nice. it's
0: dumb and i don't want to hear from you but melissa likes it. well
1: pete is pete is a hardened content creator and so he's received been doing this for a while but I i'm like not and i kind of i kind of meagerly stepped out into this into this arena and half the time i think um you know i'm like is this useful? Do people like it?
0: You're doing a great I think job.
1: People generally do. But
0: yeah, you're not. I get a
1: lot, I get a lot out of it. So
0: <laughs> good. All right. And then finally, I'll reiterate again, going in reverse order here. If you're listening to this, if you're semi famous in the, the words of Ho- Hoodie Allen, kind of sort of like almost made it, you know, check out. If you're Hoodie Allen, even better, if you're listening to this, <laughs> then no interruption. Just, just email me right away, you know and we can we can get started but no if you're if you're a poker player you've a little bit known you know you're you're listening to this you're thinking i want to get better at cash i want this guy to berate me in front of loads of people i won't i'll be nice then do do email me at pete at carrotcorner.com and we'll we'll set something up i want to find the right person for this i am not going to rush i'm not going to just like accept someone because they're really keen, I want to find someone who does have that following. So you don't even need to be good at poker. You can be like a recreational player with a poker following. It doesn't really matter. It's just about getting exposure in both directions and making you better. So get in touch if that sounds like you.
1: What if and, what if you're someone who doesn't play poker, but has an interest in it, but you have a following in another area?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's amazing. So if you're a chess streamer, like if you're Hikaru Nakamura, if you're Gotham Chess, if you're Levy Rosman if you're anybody if you're eric hansen the list goes on man like if you're one of these chess streamers hit me up if you want to get started in poker we could do that like if you're a chess streamer or chess youtube person watching this or you're like a grandmaster if you're magnus carlson doesn't really matter (laughs) get in touch if you're a sports person that's really like quite well known get in touch that's an excellent question Melissa. it doesn't even need to be a poker player but the ideal would be like a live poker player trying their hand online because then we can coach at a level that the audience is getting more out of it the only slight reservation i'd have with teaching a complete beginner is that the audience would kind of be like right he's now teaching them that a straight is better than trips or something like that so we'd get you up to like some kind of level first where i don't know maybe we we do a, a crash course or fast track or something but yeah 100 great idea famous person from another industry bring on
1: okay good yeah because i was thinking like probably taylor swift was like listening and thinking oh well, i've never well, seen her be. before but i
0: don't know if she'll be interested yeah. she might be a bit intimidated because i'm quite well known um but taylor if you're listening <laughs> don't worry like i'm like it doesn't matter that there's a gulf in our fame yeah but, you know it'll, it'll be fine i'll, I'll look after you on and the melissa
1: melissa's a fan not not like a full crazy fan but you i are? enjoy her music i think taylor she's really specific? talented
0: that really surprised i think me. she's
1: insanely talented and her albums are really good i don't get the whole like crazy fandom but it's also because i'm not like 14 or 14 years old but mm. um and i don't think i'd ever like go see her in concert but mm. yeah she's she's brilliant she's absolutely brilliant
0: if you're one of the spice girls and you're watching this okay i'll stop, <laughs> I'll stop now.
1: <laughs> now now we're going into pete's teenage
0: you want me to rank uh, them i did rank them no. at one point okay well no, the spice girls can...
1: are also amazing
0: so all spice girls are created equally beautiful or so the <laughs> modern day no, they're not. They're clear ranking. A well, clear ranking. Um yeah. final anecdote. There was a game called Worms on the PlayStation where you controlled a team of four worms and you like blew up the other team's worms. I don't know if you ever I don't think you played it because you spent your No, no, I I, I was popular books. when I was younger. No, you weren't. You were scraping cobwebs off dusty books and reading them and absorbing seventeenth century oh literature.
1: <laughs> That's kind of accurate. Mm-hmm. But I was also popular. People like me, yeah, and I didn't yeah. play computer. I didn't yeah. play computer games. I wasn't like you. I did different. You know, I was experiencing life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wasn't like you. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's
0: all. No. Um. So in <laughs> Worms, like you, you name the team. So I, I had a team called like I don't know. a team called Spice Girls. Right, it was one of the teams that I made, and only four of them could get into the could get into the team, and I won't say who, but one Spice Girl had to be left out. Um, and it was done in order of who i like the most i'm afraid and there is a hierarchy to things and there is a hierarchy to life and humans are a hierarchical species and without hierarchy we wouldn't even have sense we wouldn't even be able to distinguish one thing from another so please don't get rid of hierarchies like let's not have them be oppressive let's not have them be misogynistic but let's have hierarchies because they're great conceptual who, things and i want to end on that point who did
1: you leave out did you leave out sporty sport what was that's her name?
0: a mel c sporty space that's that's a fair yeah. guess I, I don't really want to say because I, I know that they're all listening to this and i don't want to offend any of them. that's fair mm.
1: that's fair they've yeah that's fair um and consider it yeah well thank you everyone for listening um let me and, just say it wasn't uh, jerry it
0: wasn't ginger spice let me just just in case she's worried
1: well i knew because like the carrot thing right yeah, right right yeah
0: sorry do yeah. your outro um uh,
1: my outro is thanks everyone for listening Please get in touch if you want to take up Pete on his offer. I think that'd be really exciting. And that's all. We'll see you next week, I guess.
0: Yeah, sounds good. See you then, guys. All right. Bye-bye. Bye.